women who have survived unthinkable and unspeakable violence behind the closed doors of their own homes are speaking out more than ever before. This podcast is dedicated to sharing the stories and journeys of women survivors turned entrepreneurs and how they use their strength and tenacity to help other women move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Flow Rising. This show contains adult topics and often contains triggering stories. Audience discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Flow Rising. I'm very excited to be joined by my guest, Katie Lane. She's going to share a very uh, wonderful story about how she turned her own struggles with um, overcoming alcoholism that was associated with her domestic violence into a beautiful new business that she helps other people also overcome their over their recovery um, from alcoholism and their journeys. But first, let's start with Katie. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to the show. Yeah, Megan, I'm really honored to be here and share this story with your audience. So I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So like we always do in every episode, I always tell people, let's start with where you are because the story is, it'll come as it comes, but share with us a bit about your business um, and the types of of clients that you work with and and the humans that you serve. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I run an online program that helps people overcome problem drinking or alcohol use disorder using a science-based approach that actually doesn't require people to quit drinking alcohol because over time it actually allows them to regain control. Mm -hmm. Um, This treatment uh, that we use has actually been around for nearly 30 years, but a lot of people don't know that it exists. Um, It's got over 100 clinical trials proving its efficacy, which is just Um, incredible to see. And what's really unique about this treatment, as I mentioned, is that um, it doesn't require people to quit drinking alcohol forever if they don't want to, Mm -hmm. uh, because it works to fix the problem drinking and alcohol use disorder on a neurological level inside of the brain. Um, I'm a success story of this treatment. And when you look at the research of this protocol, um, it's been clinically proven to have a success rate of 78%, which is really just staggering because um, I've been immersed in this field for over five years. And I kind of nerd out on all the research and and look at the data for, you know, what is the success rate of traditional treatments? And it's actually got a failure rate of 80% or more, where 80% or more people will relapse um, within six months of leaving treatment. And I'm really passionate about this because, um, and by the way, the treatment is called the Sinclair Method. Um, And in our program, we really guide people through it from a holistic perspective where we take the treatment protocol, which is very um, clinical and kind of science-based and, you know, it's a fairly simple protocol, uh, but we combine it with lifestyle, habit, behavior change, and really consider the whole person uh, when we're designing the treatment plan and supporting them through our program. And the people we serve are really your everyday people um, who you probably would have no clue they have a problem with alcohol. Uh, We have a lot of entrepreneurs, moms, retired people, um, salespeople, people in hospitality, counselors, doctors, like truly alcohol use disorder does not discriminate. And I feel like 100% of the people I work with are brilliant, amazing, successful people who somewhere along the way have developed this dependence on alcohol. And for a lot of those people, they're not in a place where, you know, I need to go to a 30-day rehab and go to AA every day and say, I can't ever drink again. For a lot of these people, 
they still want to drink, but they want to have a more balanced relationship with alcohol. So that's where our program comes in. And, you know, I know this very well because I personally struggled with alcohol addiction for nearly 10 years and uh, went through the cycles of, okay, I need to quit. Like I need to go to AA. I need to, maybe I need a program. You know, I, I know I just need to quit drinking. That's what, you know, I was always told. And I relapsed dozens of times over the course of 10 years and nothing ever stuck. Um, and I couldn't figure out why. And I was getting to a place where I just thought, man, I'm never going to get this under control. Um, and stumbled upon this treatment and it worked like incredibly well. And it just caused me to, first of all, become an advocate for it. And that kind of evolved into me now serving others who want to, um, use this treatment to address problem drinking. No, I love that. I think it's super important when it's our own personal journeys that have led to us getting passionate and then helping others. And it's, it seems to be a common thing amongst a lot of my guests is that our own journey, um, you know, and especially on this show, we talk about how domestic violence leads to all kinds of trauma and all kinds of oh, things. Yes. And addiction is, again, one of the hallmarks of, yep, we, you know, I always tell people my personal addiction was weed and they go, you can't get addicted to weed. And I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I was there too. So yes, you can. It's a little different than alcohol and the chemical dependency, but yes, you can. Um, mm -hmm. But so share with us a little bit about your own story. Um, as much or as little, I always tell people this is your story to share, but share about your own story coming into discovering the Sinclair method and then, you know, really finding the passion for the business. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, the reason I'm on here is because I do have domestic violence as part of my story. And um, what came with that was developing an alcohol addiction. So in my early 20s, I got into a relationship with a man who was actually my childhood crush. And when we finally got together, I was like, this is a fantasy. This is like everything I ever dreamed of as a kid. Like we're finally together. I live in California. I wasn't living there at the time, but it was like, I always wanted to live in California and we moved there together. And it was in the first six months of the relationship. You know, if, if anyone's been in a relationship with someone who's narcissistic, which I had no idea what it was until after I left the relationship and went to therapy, I was like, that's what was wrong. Um, there was a phase of love bombing where we were long distance for a period of time. And um, when we met, I was 21, I do believe. And I wasn't a very heavy drinker. I remember on my 21st birthday where in the United States, we can finally drink legally. Like people were buying me shots and I was giving them away. I had no interest in really drinking. I, I would enjoy a cocktail once in a while, but I was not a drinker. Um, and then of course I was, you know, I was young, I was 21, but we were long distance for a bit and um, he would come and visit me and we'd always drink a lot when he came. And I just figured it was because we were seeing each other. It was a special occasion. We were having champagne, but I did notice we were drinking a lot together. And then finally, when we moved in together about six months later, um, the drinking was, I noticed with him, it was a nightly thing. And I was like, oh, oh, he drinks a lot. And for the first while I was kind of complaining, like, can you like not drink so much? This is, you know, um, kind of causing a problem. And that's when his narcissistic and abusive tendencies started, started to show like the love bombing phase was kind of uh, going away. And I would just start to see this other side of him that honestly scared me. But like I said, he was my, my childhood crush who I always like wanted to be with. And so I started to write them off and his nightly drinking was something that I chose to join in on as well. And I take full responsibility for it because I was an adult. Um, 
but I started to see, okay, if I'm not drinking with him, it's causing problems in our relationship. So let me have cocktails with him. And, um, within about a matter of maybe six months to a year, I had definitely developed my own dependence on alcohol where I then was drinking every single day and wanted to drink every day and was drinking harder and harder stuff. And, uh, with the heavy alcohol use, it, um, as probably a lot of people can relate who have been in violent relationships, the alcohol can just fuel that. Like we had a very passionate relationship that was passionate in a good way, but then equally passionate in a horribly destructive way. And what started out as little things like him, you know, he would, you know, he would pee all over the toilet seat and all over the bathroom. And I remember one time I was like, can you just try to be more careful and clean it up a bit? And he intentionally went in and like peed over the whole bathroom, just as like a F you kind of thing. And I was like, what? And so stuff like that started to happen. He started to break chairs when we would argue. And it just kind of slowly progressed into more and more verbal violence and more and more physical violence. Mm -hmm. And when that started to happen, almost every time it was under the influence of alcohol, because we were drinking seven days a week, drinking a lot. Um, And so in the beginning, he would feel bad and buy me flowers and the next day and, you know, try to make up for it. But what happened over time is it really became the norm. And we would just kind of like pretend it didn't happen the next day. Maybe we would still continue to fight. Maybe he'd go stay at his dad's place or something. Um, but it really became a normal part of our relationship. And I noticed as time went on, it just got worse and worse and worse where the violence got worse and worse. Bruises and things would be left. I would feel more and more scared. Um, and this just continued for, we were together for five years. So about for four years of our relationship and, you know, being in that environment, I can't say it's all his fault because I think it takes two to tangle. What I learned in therapy, it's like, you know, you have the narcissist, but you also have the codependent. And that's where I was at when I was, when I was with him. Um, and I think we used alcohol, you know, as a way to bond, but it also caused us to be extremely destructive toward one another. And through this time as well, just on top of that, I developed a pretty serious eating disorder to where I just was like mm-hmm. starving myself, got down yeah. to like a hundred pounds, which is not much for my frame mm-hmm. and, uh, was drinking most of my calories and, um, what I learned through therapy afterward was like, that was my form of control was just to control what I put in my body because the whole relationship uh, really got out of control. And, um, it just got worse and worse to the point of, um, you know, one day he beat me up so bad and was verbally threatening my life that the neighbors called the cops, um, and they showed up and that was the moment that was finally like, okay, I I guess I got to get out of here. Um, And I should say a year prior to that, my family, they live in a different state and they could see what was happening and they came down and tried to hold an intervention and confront me about my drinking and the relationship. And I just like wrote them off and kind of went deeper into the relationship, um, which caused, you know, just things, me to be more isolated and things to get more destructive and more abusive and my drinking to get even, even worse. But um, that's a bit about that, that circumstance. And I will say the one thing, like when I left the relationship, I thought, okay, once I get out, then drinking won't be as much of an issue. Cause it's really him that's continuing this problem alongside me. But what happened was my drinking actually got worse when I left the relationship. And it went on like that for a couple of more years until I found the Sinclair method. Yeah, no, I, it's first off, thank you for sharing. Cause that's, yeah. I don't think it's easy for any of us, no matter how far away from it we are that to, to share it and go, yep, nope, that was, you know, and while we never abuse or bash on here, there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, yeah, that they, they want us to be like them. And so for you, it was the drinking, you know? Yeah. 
come, come join me for the drinking. You know, for me, it was, like I said earlier, that it was the smoke, the weed. No, you don't need to go do that thing. Just come be with me. And, yeah. and there's that bonding piece that you exactly like it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's so true. It makes you feel like they, you're special because they want to be with you. They want to share this with you. Yes. And that's, it's interesting how, um, that that's something I've, I've personally been working on myself is, is separating that codependent person. I see it coming up in my new relationship and I'm like, oh, well, this is how I used to. Oh, and for me, it was always, this sounds silly, but I never, ever was able to keep up with the dishes. Cause of course I was the only one that worked. I was the only one that did the household stuff. That was how our relationship was, but I could never keep up with the dishes. And it finally dawned on me. It was because every time after dinner, it was time to do the dishes. He'd say, oh, just come smoke with me for a minute. And literally, I mean, I'm kidding, not kidding you, like three or four joints later, like we're talking, you know, for you, it would have been a couple of drinks later. And then all of a sudden now we're in contention and now we're in a fight over the dishes, not getting done. And it's like, (laughs) you asked me. And so there's that bonding, but there's also the punishing side of you're doing the thing and you're special, but then I'm going to punish you while doing it or how to do it. And so tell us a little bit about, so when you discovered this Sinclair method, um, what was, you know, how was your transformation or what was the transformative way that you saw it show up in your life? Like it was this instantaneous, is it a long-term thing? How's that really kind of work from your experience? Yeah. So, you know, it is more long-term, but what's incredible about this treatment is people begin to see gradual changes in their drinking that would have really been impossible before. And this was not only true for me, but I've literally worked with hundreds of people over the years and seen the same thing be true for them. So what this treatment is, is it actually involves taking a medicine that you take before you drink. And this medicine has been FDA approved for alcohol addiction since 94. It's cheap, it's generic, it's non-addictive, it's over the counter in some countries, but you do need a prescription here. Uh, But thankfully, there's a lot of telemedicine doctors that now will prescribe it because they're becoming more aware of it as an effective treatment for alcohol addiction. Um, But you start taking the medicine before you drink, like an hour before you drink. And for a lot of people with alcohol addiction, you know, for anyone listening, the thought of never drinking again is terrifying for people. Even if they see alcohol destroying their life and their health and they really want to get this under control, the thought of never drinking again is really scary because the brain is addicted. And so it's like giving up something that you feel like on some level you need for your survival. The addiction is so strong. Mm-hmm. And so with this treatment, you start where you're at. So it's a very gentle treatment. There's no like, okay, you can't drink and you've got to figure everything else out. Mm-hmm. Um, so you start where you're at. You start Uh, just by taking the medicine before you drink. And gradually over time, what the medicine is doing is it's an opiate blocker medication, not to be confused with opiates, but an opiate blocker. So people who take opiates actually can't take this medicine because it will block the effects of it. Um, So you take this medicine and uh, what the researchers found is that, you know, when we drink alcohol, it's flooding our brain with feel-good hormones. That's why alcohol can be addictive. It feels really good. And it uh, primarily functions in the opiate reward system in our our brain, um, same kind of place where we get pleasure from sex and food and other things like that. Um, so, but when you take this medicine before you drink and you wait an hour, it's blocking that flood of feel-good hormones from alcohol. And so what happens for people gradually over time is 
they're not getting that same flood of reward from alcohol. And so they start to lose interest in it a little bit. They start to lose their craving. Um, and even if they are still drinking, they start to develop what we often call an off switch to where maybe they'll have a couple of drinks, but they don't have desire for more. Um, now, this is a gradual process. It takes time. And a lot of people want to know, okay, well, is it going to make me sick? Is it going to make drinking no longer fun at all? Yeah. And it's neither of those things. It just starts to make, I had someone on a coaching call this week. They're like, I just finally feel like a normal drinker. And that's what it does. It takes the power away from alcohol. So, you know, yeah, you can have a drink or two and enjoy it, but you're kind of done with that. And an example I use is like, you know, if you don't have a sugar addiction and you go out and you have a big piece of yummy chocolate cake, it's delicious. You enjoyed it. But the thought of another one sounds a little bit gross. You wouldn't want it. And so um, that's what this treatment does over time is it really fixes the neurology of addiction, which a lot of treatments that exist don't. It's more about you know, you're a bad person, or at least that's how I felt. I was a bad person. I was weak. It's because I had trauma in my past and, you know, I, I had bad habits or things like that. And that's why we approach this with the whole person perspective, because those things do matter. As I started to drink less, memories started to surface that I'd been numbing out with alcohol. Um, I really had to develop healthier coping tools. I've been drinking daily for a decade, you know, I needed to create new habits. And so um, the medication is an incredibly powerful tool, the, the Sinclair Method protocol. Um, it really starts to fix what's going on in the brain so that people's craving for alcohol can start to fade away. They can start to see themselves have more control. They can have alcohol-free days that don't feel as difficult. And then with that, a lot of people describe it like they have the space within them to actually do that inner work to heal from mm -hmm. alcohol addiction. And, you know, the years or decades of abuse that they've been doing to their body. And so, you know, in our program, we've got a lot of workshops helping people change their habits um, around alcohol. We have a therapist coming on to teach workshops where we talk about different coping tools. We have tons of support that's really guiding people through it, in addition to all of the other resources we have. But we really take it from the, the whole person view, if you will, so that people can make lasting, sustainable change with their, their relationship with alcohol. Yeah. And I think it's, it's one of the things that, you know, I, I heard that, that, that like neurological rewiring, you know, because that's, yeah. that is something that every survivor understands that, you know, my body, whether it was emotional, mental, physical, whatever kind of traumas you experienced, yeah. it wired you a certain way, you know, yeah. and the farther back in history, you know, my, my, my traumas all started in childhood and I was wired from gold as to like how, and so learning that rewiring. So it's fascinating to hear that that's how it, it works, that it's on the neurological level. Um, because that's, I mean, in trauma therapies, that's been proven, you know, like EMDR, yeah. CPT and things like that. They actually rewire your brain, your body to look at the trauma differently. And it sounds a yeah. lot similar with this methodology. Yeah, it, that's a really good way to put it. That That is what's happening. And it becomes a place like I honestly, okay, so I use this treatment. I was never planning to quit drinking, but after a year, <laughs> after a year on the treatment, I accidentally quit drinking because I tell people I would just forget to drink like month after month. It wouldn't occur to me because it, I just had no interest in it anymore. I tell people that it feels like the addiction that I had, the com compulsive thoughts and craving and desire for alcohol, you know, even with marijuana dependence, it's like you could commit to quit today, but tomorrow you're like, man, I really want to smoke really joint right now. It's like nonstop. And so this, it feels like it's been erased from my brain to where 
I don't even think about it anymore. And I have people reach out to me all the time who are like, I've been sober for two years, but I still think about drinking every day or I fight that craving every day. And to me, that's what I tried and it was not freedom. And with this, with the combination of the Sinclair Method treatment with lifestyle behavior coping changes over time, this can be a permanent change for people. Like I haven't drank in over four years. I don't crave it. I don't miss it. What's great about it is with this treatment, I can drink if I want to. I would just follow the Sinclair Method protocol and I don't write it off. Like it's no longer that forbidden fruit. Um, but if I did drink, I know that I wouldn't relearn the addiction because my brain has been fixed essentially. And the, the medication prevents people from redeveloping alcohol addiction again. Interesting. Cause I know that has always been the downside of other methodologies. Again, it's not something I've ever gone through and I'm always yeah. super impressed when people are willing to tackle addictions like that. Cause that is not easy work, but other methodologies tend to only work in the brain space Yeah, where it's like, no, just, just fix that habit and it won't. And, and it is, it's that constant, no, I'm not supposed to do that thing. Oh, oh wait, yeah. but I'm doing the thing. And so then I, you just don't get peace. Like yeah. I no peace at all. And then sobriety feels like a punishment. Oh my gosh. You articulated that so well. <laughs> it so does. And and like I said, like the people I work with, they really want to get this under control. It's not that they like want to keep destroying their health and their family or their finances or whatever the negative consequences are. But when they're fighting the craving all of the time, it's no longer under logical control. It's essentially hijacked the brain. And so you know, a million and one times I woke up on a hungover morning thinking, man, I'm never going to drink again. Why do I keep doing this? But then in a day or a few days, I kind of forget about that. And my brain would be like, all right, let's go get some alcohol. Um, so it's a real struggle that a lot of people are in. And I think it speaks to, you know, the statistic, which, you know, your listeners can look up. It's well documented that the relapse rate for, for traditional treatment is 80% or more of people. And we keep doing the same treatment and people keep relapsing. Um, I was at a conference recently where they were like, we're well aware that alcohol addiction is a chronic relapsing condition um, and no effect, like there's no effective treatment for it or something. This was literally from the stage and addiction conference. I was like, why are we like, why isn't this treatment more well known? And that's been part of my fire to raise awareness about it is that it's incredibly effective. And everyday people are like, why haven't I heard of this before? So I'm excited to share it today with you. Yeah, no, it sounds, it's so interesting how I, I think of people in my own life who do have alcohol addiction and I've watched them and they do great for short periods of time. And then all of a sudden I get the phone call. I, 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 th I think I overdid it. I need a ride. And it's like, you were doing so well. What happened? Yeah. Because a small, tiny stressor. And there they are at the bar stool for six yeah. hours and not even contemplating. I just downed a gallon I'm being exaggerative, but yeah. <laughs> I yeah. just downed more alcohol than I, you know, and I'm, again, I think it's, it's one of those things that I love hearing that it's actually doing that rewiring, doing that reprogramming, because that in any kind of trauma therapy, the reprogramming, the rewiring, that's the effective long-term. Um, so it sounds like something yeah. like, for example, what you said, you haven't had a drink in four years, but you had a holiday party coming up and you're like, Hey, I feel like I may have some drinks. You can just continue that. You just take the medicine in it and you keep following the protocol. Yep. You would just take the medicine beforehand. What it's doing is it's protecting your brain. So you're not going to get the, I wouldn't get the flood of reward from alcohol. You okay. know, I, my brain would still experience it, but it would be blocked. And so what would probably happen is the last few times that I drank, I couldn't even finish a full drink. So I would probably take the medicine, maybe enjoy one or two drinks, and I wouldn't want for more. Um, 
And yeah, so it, it gives people that option. And it's just really incredible. Like you were mentioning, you know, the one small stressor can lead someone to a relapse. And the reason that happens, you know, oftentimes when I was trying to dr- try other treatments, they would be like, okay, well, just notice your triggers and try to avoid them. And it's like, by that point, everything was a trigger, a good day, a bad day, a sad day. I was angry. I was happy. It was like, I, I was like, I can't go anywhere. I can't even be home. Everything's a trigger. But with the method, it's um, over time, you know, when you're reinforcing that alcohol is not giving you this huge reward, your brain stops equating it to that reward. And so oftentimes when people end up relapsing after traditional treatment, it's because their brain still is craving alcohol, so really wants to drink alcohol. So for me, I've gone through so many difficult things since I quit drinking, but my brain doesn't want alcohol anymore. And of course, I've had to teach myself new coping tools because if I didn't have those, I would still lean on alcohol. But simply because I don't desire it, it's really easy to not do it. And so I tell people I feel relapse proof to where I've gone through some hard stuff and alcohol doesn't even come to mind as something like I've never done crack cocaine. And so if I, you know, experience something hard tomorrow, I wouldn't think, oh, I need to go do crack cocaine. It just doesn't occur <laughs> yeah. to me. So it's the same with alcohol. It's like it's been reversed. So it's it's really incredible the the lasting changes that can happen with it. Interesting. Really, really interesting stuff. So share with us a little bit about, um, you know, you talked about before you found the Sinclair method. Um, and I always love to hear people because even though alcohol was your, you know, big problem, you know, that, that, that was the, the big rock for you. What are some ways that you found yourself maybe even inadvertently working through and healing from the, the violence and the trauma and the narcissism? Um, it sounds like you may have tried, you did therapy and things like that, but I always love hearing people's you know, was it self-care? Was it a new routine? What was it that you felt aside from finding the alcohol relief, but, you know, personally, or even after the Sinclair method? Um, that yeah. You know, honestly, at first I did not deal with it well because I dove headfirst into really heavy drinking after I left. I, you mentioned you were used to be addicted to marijuana. Me too. That was like a daily thing for me for a long time. And I had really had a hard, I quit that too, but, um, it was alongside the alcohol, I guess, around the yeah. same time. Um, I, like I mentioned, I, I kind of had that eating disorder in that relationship. And so when I got out, um, I had been in cycles of binge eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And so I would turn to food a lot. So these are all the things I did that were extremely unhealthy and unhelpful, but my way to just kind of numb out from it all and try to cope with it. But um, as I started genuinely healing, I really feel like therapy did help. Talk therapy really did help for me to just see an outsider third-party perspective that was not my family who had a bias because they could see it years before I could. Um, So talk therapy really did help. And also, uh, you know, as I, I honestly don't think that, you know, I was able to really fully heal from it while I was still consuming alcohol as much as I was, because I was, I wasn't aware of the fact that I was drinking so much to numb a lot of that. And that wasn't the only reason I was drinking. Like I said, I would drink because it was Monday, because it was sunny, because it was cloudy. Like there was any reason I would drink. But what I started to realize through the Sinclair method, and again, this is why we have a comprehensive program to go alongside it, is I started to feel these things that I hadn't felt in years because I would just numb out every day. And I started to have memories surface and dreams come to me from the time I was with them and even just like, you know, things that I I would have a new perspective on, they would start to surface. And it was almost overwhelming because I was so used to 
reaching for a bottle and just numbing as soon as anything came up. So I really had to learn to experience emotions and sit with them and not turn and numb out from them. So for me, what was awesome about the Sinclair method, you know, as I said, it wasn't this abrupt, like, okay, you have to quit drinking and figure everything else out. It's like, as I was gradually drinking less, these things would start to surface. And then I would then turn to, you know, even just a friend or um, continuing therapy or taking a workshop or things like that, that were really helping me understand and heal these things that were coming up. Um, I read a lot of books. I love to watch, you know, videos and TED Talks online just to give me an understanding to think about things differently. But, um, you know, I really think it was through the process of gradually letting go of alcohol and alcohol as a coping tool that allowed me to then learn new coping tools. And, you know, I've um, since all of this developed a relationship with God. And so prayer has become a part of my life. And that for me has been really healing and cathartic. Um, and, you know, just learning and learning ways to respect myself, I think is a big one. Cause I think I allowed that relationship to go on as long as it did, because I simply had no self-respect, you know, growing up, I wasn't given a solid foundation. I love my parents, but you know, they had their own stuff they were dealing with. And so didn't have like a solid foundation. And so it was something I had to learn through um, experience. And I think, um, you know, just learning new coping tools, learning to trust myself and respect myself again. And that came through, you know, work and therapy and books and guidance from others. Um, that's why, like, I think when I started this treatment, I honestly wanted to do it alone. I was just like, I'm going to figure this out by myself. And that's where a few months in, I was like, oh no, okay. Like I've got to get support because there's more to it than just take a pill and let it help you. Like, certainly that's a huge part of it, but there's oftentimes more to it than that. More to it. Yeah. And I think if you hadn't, if, if there are people who haven't been in therapy or developed some coping, coping skills and they're still drinking more than they want, you know, that's one thing. But if you're you know, coming out of a very, you know, abusive relationship. Yeah. You just, you, you don't have the, it's so interesting. You talked about feeling your feelings. That's, that's where I'm at right now. I actually literally just today found a, finally found a trauma informed therapist. Oh, good. Finding them is not easy. So I highly recommend if you're finding therapists and you're someone who's experienced domestic violence, please find someone yeah. who's trauma informed. Otherwise you're going to feel what I did. I went through four other therapists and it was like, oh you don't gosh. get it. You just, you're, you're talking about me, <laughs> write down three things that would really help you feel good today. Uh, I just, I just shared with you a story and a flashback and you're like over here doing like basic <laughs> stuff. So it is interesting how I always tell people get the right therapy and yeah. it's worth taking the time to really get someone who understands the, the background. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm glad I mean, you said that because I went through a few different therapists going through this and some just didn't get it or like you, it was very surface level. I'm like, we're not doing anything here. Like this isn't helpful at all. So that was difficult, but worth yeah. it, like you said. Yeah. I tell people trauma informed. That's what, if they are not trauma informed, that means they've learned a methodology or they practice a methodology that's specific for what they call big T trauma, which is the violence and the mm -hmm. emotional abuse we experienced. But but it is so interesting how feeling and just, yeah. I mean, there, gosh, feeling my feelings. There are times when I'm like, I'm not a drinker. And there are times like, I would just love to not like, let's just go somewhere else right yes. now and not feel this. Because again, the, all those things that you just never felt for all those years. The numbing Yeah. And I think so you, when I left that relationship, I was like, I'm fine. I'll figure it out. I'm out of it now. And that's like where I developed extremely unhealthy coping tools. And I, so if anyone's listening to this, that 
like has been in that type of environment, like reach out for help because I took like a major detour trying to just like numb it more and pretend like it just didn't happen. Cause I was also embarrassed. Like my family warned me, they tried to get me out and I wrote them off and I came home with like my tail between my legs. I had nothing. Like I literally had nothing. And so I had to start from the ground up again. And, um, yeah, it like reach out for help. Don't, don't think you're fine after that. Cause well, you know, there's stuff to process. There's, there's lots of stuff to process. And, you know, sadly, I, I don't have a supportive family. They were the family oh, that no. was like, I was with my ex for 18 years. Oh and my have a gosh. Child. So, you have 18, a child and we have a child together. Oh, I didn't leave gosh. till my kid was 10. So, oh, you know, there was a long time, I mean, lifetime. And sadly, again, my abuse started in childhood. So going back to the family and I did lean on them for financial assistance and that type of thing. But I distinctly remember the day that my father and mother were both like, stop talking. We don't want to hear any more. And I was like, because oh I was getting ready to like, for the first time in my life, like say it out loud. I will say some of the most amazing, kind, gentle listeners I've ever had were complete strangers. Wow. They became friends, but they would actually receive the story with no judgment. So if you're fortunate to have family, great. If you're not, there are people out there that will... Yeah. Support you and love you. And it's, so it's, yeah, I think we all have that. And again, it's a trauma response to go, I can just do it all. It's okay. I'm just <laughs> going to move forward. And I, I think even, even the day that I finally got my freedom day, I was like, like I had intentionally told my, my parents to, cause I was sort of, you know, still talking to them. I said, please take the kid for the next two weeks. There's no way I'm putting a 10 year old child through what's about to happen. Yes. And I knew that's, it. I, I mean, that's good. Yeah. Putting your kid first in that environment. And yeah, yeah, I'm so thankful for online, like the internet, like there's so many online groups where I have connected with strangers who I've never met, who I feel closer to than people in my own personal life. It's just incredible. Like, you know, those free resources or paid resource, like there's so much out there. There's so many, I, I, you know, at minimum, you can find yourself a Facebook group and you can do the whole group, like post anonymous. Now I love that feature inside of some of my groups where I'm like, I just have this thing and I really don't want people to know it's me. Yeah. But I just want to say, here's what's happening. And yeah. And so, you know, because I have a child with mine, there is a connection. Luckily, he's oh, decided gosh. he wants to be away. So that just helps me immensely. But if a lot of women, that's the case. They've got kids. Yeah. So they have to co-parent with crazy. That would be, I can't even, like, that was one thing I was like, I'm so glad we never had a kid. No. Like, but I yeah. just can't imagine, like, I, my heart goes out to you because I couldn't imagine having to interface with him. Like. Oh, ever and, yeah, ever again. And exactly. A lot of us are just like minimize that, yeah. <laughs> but there's help out there for, for all kinds of people. And so I think that's the biggest point is get, get the assistance, get the help, yeah. reach out the books, the questions, all of that. Um, yeah. Do you have any favorite books that were like, oh, that one, that one really, really changed things. Cause I love rec- recommendations. Yeah. You know, I think the classic codependent, no more, that was helpful Mm -hmm. and stuff by Brené Brown, because I think a lot of what goes on with the abuse is there's psychological manipulation that happens Mm -hmm. gradually over time. And I left that relationship literally thinking I wouldn't be able to find someone else. I wouldn't be able to do better. I'm worthless. You know, these like crazy beliefs to think about now, but I genuinely believe them about myself because he would just feed them to me constantly. And it'd be in really subtle, manipulative ways. So recognizing that the state of mind and the mindset we might have out of these relationships um, can be very damaging. And and for me, I was unaware of it for a long time. And so 
Brené Brown's books were always very encouraging about just personal development on a lot of different levels. I think I read or did Audible of almost all of them. So I, I definitely recommend them. Like Braving the Wilderness was a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, and Codependent No More. I, I could say those two. Yeah, no, that's... I, I Do you started, read her stuff? I, I love Brene Brown. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Codependent No More was one of those that I started, but I started it at, at, like shortly after. And I was like, nope, not ready for this. <laughs> Just nope, put that one aside. But again, great book. And yeah, Brene Brown's stuff is even if you just read, you know, some of her stuff or see like some of her, her little videos or whatever, really, really good advice that she has. Yeah, she does. And I was just looking over here, like there's a narcissist book. Oh, malignant self, something malignant self-love. I didn't Mm. ever read the whole thing. It's a really thick book, but that helped me understand narcissism better. But I feel like there's so many resources out there for that. Now I literally didn't know what narcissism was. And I was like, I just knew I was like, there's something off with him, but I could never pinpoint it. And then when I learned about narcissism, I was like, Oh, that's what it is. And it makes so much sense. Yeah. And like that, I didn't even, I was, this was this year that I started reading. Um, it was, it's a, it's for co-parenting, but it's, um, raising resilient children, which is about co-parenting with a narcissist. Started reading it because obviously I co-parent, my partner has a narcissistic ex, so we have narcissists around us. Started reading it and it was like my childhood explained. And I went, holy moly, like, wow, I had no idea my mother was this human and then started to unwind all of that and all, and you know. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to recover from this violent relationship. And then it's like, yep. no, you got to go all the way back. Honey. Yep. You got to keep going. And I think a lot of us, you know, I've had guests on here who are like, yeah, I decided I was recovering from this one thing. Another one of my guests was like, I was recovering from a bad relationship. And all of a sudden realized I had some really messed up, like serious, like sexually abusive traumas as a child. It's yeah. like, she had no idea. She blocked it. Yep. And that's what our brains are amazing and annoying at the same time. Cause they can <laughs> just completely put up a wall to protect yep. us. Yep. But then when you're out of it, you still have that wall and don't understand that, oh, on the other side of that wall is I have to go through it, but there's recovery. There's healing. There's it's, opening up. Yeah. It, it's so true. And like, you know, just as an example in my story, it's like, I was like, how could I have let myself be in that relationship? Because even before that, I was like, what's up with the women that stay in abusive relationships? You know, I was all like, like proud, like I would never do that. And then there I was smack dab in the middle of one. I was like, how the heck did that happen? And it, you know, like I mentioned earlier, went back to like not having like values instilled into me as a kid and kind of just being ignored a lot of my childhood and not really like having anyone giving me feedback. So when this narcissist was like love bombing me, I was like, yay, attention, like someone likes me. And so yeah, going back to childhood, understanding like what even got you in that place to begin with, that was very cathartic for me to understand and and heal and move on from and forgive my parents and because for a long time I was mad at them and that was not helpful either. I was like, this sucks. Like I don't want to like feel this way toward them. So a lot of work to, you know, just move on from that and forgive them. But no, and I think that that's the whole point. I love that you have taken, you know, in, in your business, this, you took something that worked, which is someone else's methodology. That's great. And then you're like the whole person, because again, you remove the layer of the drinking. Now what? (laughs) Exactly. There's other, you know, the drinking showed up for a reason. It wasn't just like one day you were like, oh yeah, I just don't want to engage in my life. I'm just going to start 
drinking alcohol. No, there was something yeah. building up to it. And so I think that that is hugely, hugely impressive that you're like, nope, we're going to look at the whole person, you know, inside of this. So yeah. this has been fantastic. I, I had no idea about the Sinclair method before I met you. And I'm like, I have a few people that I may just like be, here's a link. Yeah. Damn this, it was thinking of, here's some information because I, it's, it's amazing how you hear people. They're like, I just I really, as soon as I tackle this, it's going to be fine. But the methodologies they're trying to, this just don't work. As you said, they've yeah. proven to work. So kudos to you for taking your recovery and doing amazing things with it. Cause I'm, I know that you are helping others walk that path, you know, maybe, maybe hopefully a little easier than you found it, but at least you're helping them move forward now. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, you know, I'm so passionate about it and, you know, with, you know, people can learn about the Sinclair method online. There's a ton of resources. I've got a ton of free videos on YouTube. Um, there's tons of science, as I mentioned about it, there's a book about it. So it's been around a long time. It's just like the best kept secret. I feel like that needs to be known. And so we, in our program, we really, like I said, it's the whole person approach to it. So, um, we're happy to support people or, you know, they can talk to their doctor about it. They can find free resor resources online or just a lot of people do research for a while before they get started. So I just encourage people to search, search it, look for it and reach out yeah. if you have questions. I'm always no, happy to answer. I think a lot of people are research happy these days because we can do yeah. it from, the, from, from our Isn't own Isn't it wonderful? Now I feel informed to make a decision. Yeah. For the audience who's listening, if they would like to connect with you to get more information either about the Sinclair method or the services that you offer, what's a great way for people to connect with you today? Yeah, they can go to our website, thrivealcoholrecovery.com. We have a lot of free resources on there and just general information about our program and the method and the science behind it. Um, or they can contact us at hello at thrivealcoholrecovery.com. And we have our social media channels at the bottom of our website as well. And we're always posting resources and tips and videos and things there as well. If people want to, you know, research or stalk us for a while before they decide <laughs> if, you know, they want to start this or, or do our program. So Stalker giving yeah. you you're like that's okay you you watched me for a year i'm glad you're here so yeah exactly but thank you katie for joining us on the show for providing the audience with some great information about something that you know can really help a lot of people so thank you so much for being on the show today yeah thank you megan you know it's wonderful to be able to share about this so i appreciate you creating a safe place for people to talk about these you know things they've gone through so thank you so much for having me Absolutely. Happy to do it. To the audience, thank you for joining us. And I am wishing you as ever peace, love, and flow. And may your flow be ever rising. Until next time.